Okay, this is the first Kodiram podcast. We don't have any music yet, so I'm gonna sing la 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 la. That's the, that's the intro. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> let's gonna start with this. Uh, uh, first note: this probably will be a, a raw uh, recording, no editing. So you hear something strange, then well, that's what it is. <laughs> Okay, I'm gonna start. Introductions. Uh, I'm sorry, no, you start. Okay. What was your introduction? Hello, uh, my name is Chris Reinmuller. Um, I'm in my first year in the industry, basically, uh, after working on uh, related IT uh, projects. Um, my favorite language is Java, uh, and I'm firing it up in IntelliJ. Cool. Uh, I'm Sam Davis. Um, I, this is my third year in the industry, uh, it'd be in September. Uh, my favorite language at the moment, I'd have to say, is probably Java, or a close tie with JavaScript maybe. Uh, my favorite editor is IntelliJ. Okay, uh, my name is Jorge Guerrero Garcia, that's a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> I am the only over here, I have um, around 15 years experience, something like that, uh, in the industry. Uh, my favorite language at the moment is Clojure, looking for 1.10, which has better error messaging. And favorite editor for me is going to be Emacs. I just love Emacs. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so what we wanted to talk today was about, uh, just to have something to start with, is about this uh, presentation made by Martin Fowler in the Yal conference in Australia uh, and I think it, wa it was interesting there were uh, a, a few uh, answers that I saw to his uh, talk a great talk by the way great talk uh, and I just want to just go a bit uh, around it and maybe chat a bit about uh, things that he said okay so first point uh, one thing that uh, Sam and I have pointed it was about his use of the word agile industrial complex. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, one thing that stood out for me in particular um, was how agile, there's a whole industry that's born out of agile. You know, it was a lot of developers sitting together, you know, deciding you know, how best to run kind of. Um, the creation of software and now there's there's whole industries and, and careers that have born out of it um, I think I, I personally find that fascinating yep yeah. well, one thing that I, struck, uh, struck with me with the war or the sentence rather uh, I industrial complex is that it relates to the, the, the one that usually you usually hear about referring that way is the military industrial complex and usually it's with very negative connotations about what it is and him using that specific wording to refer to it is just like a bit of in your face is is negative it is that that's what what it mostly what it uh, uh, what came to my mind when yeah. when i heard it uh, and he took uh, another thing that we have uh, in common in our notes about this talk was about uh, Frederick Taylor. Yeah, so, so one of the things that really stuck for me was that Frederick Taylor, you know, the fact that he would say that the people doing the work in factories, you know, were, were dumb, stupid, whatever you want to call it, and 
that there should be a separate group of people that would effectively do the planning for these people that would actually um, carry out the labour. Um, I, I think this is still rife. You know, it's, it's dramatically changed in many industries and in the way we work today. Um, and I think this is particularly strong in software, where you have managers that dictate, you know, how you should program, what languages you should use, and, and various different things that actually should probably be up to the developers themselves and the teams to kind of self-organize and to decide. Um. Um, I do agree with that. Um, there, there is um, there is one problematic side that I was thinking just right now is the fact that you have many teams on your on your uh, uh, on your company. You have to be careful how many different technology stacks you are using. Maybe you are a designer on microservices and maybe that's not that much of a problem. Maybe you have, I mean, here in Cordura, we have um, people with lots of uh, knowledge of different languages. Okay, we have, I, I came as a CSAT developer. I haven't done CSAT yet in Cordura. Uh, but we have people that have done JavaScript, Java. We have people that have knowledge of functional programming languages. We have uh, a, a bit of knowledge Python could be so there's a bit quite a lot of knowledge compared with most other companies and but you have to we have to look at the fact that companies outside then maybe they have only people knowledgeable in one language maybe two yeah yeah I think as well if you if you do have say like a polyglot culture it can maybe be quite difficult for hiring as well because you know you have all these different languages and you have to manage them as well um if say a product which we'll get to later if a product say goes into a maintenance phase um uh you know then you have to hire these people specifically for this and you can't take a resource from maybe another team to to fix it um which i think yeah is much an issue um but i think one of the main things for me is that um you know, if, if, if say, uh, it's not to say about the language, but it's more about if, if your team want to, say, adopt XP practices, then that should be a, a, a team decision, you know, if they want to do that and they can they can argue why they why they want to adopt those practices. But it's more the fact that they should be able to do that and be um, left to do so. I do, I do, I do agree. I do agree with that. Uh, it's de definitely, I mean, I have, in, I have been in places in which this is the way you work, and that, that I mean, they tell you this is the way you work that you have to do, and it do, it doesn't matter that it is that that way of working is actually not producing good uh, good results. You are you are kind of fighting against what are the actual requirements of the business. You are fighting against uh, uh, the the own system. The, your own system that you are creating, you are fighting all the time because you cannot change the most basic things about how you work. Uh, it is uh, when when you're in, in that situation, it is quite um, um, frustrating. Mm. And, and the fact is that we are not. I mean, the, as a developer, you have to think. And then you cannot have people constrain your thinking just because they are so focused on this uh, Taylorian way of thinking. Yes, I, I, and also like sometimes the focus is on the process as well. Whereas obviously you know Martin Valles spoke about this talk and Agile very much promotes 
that people are at the heart of, of agile and that you know they talk about how you know it's actually humans you know it's actually the, the interactions rather than the processes and the tools hmm. um, which I think is really interesting I think some people lose sight of that and they think more about the process rather than actually thinking more you know, it might follow, even says if you do an XP the same way, you know, in a year's time, then you're not doing XP because you need to actually refine what you're doing and make it suit your your needs, etc. Yeah, I, I think he does the uh, he 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 himself brings the point uh, at some point is that maybe there are certain processes, agile processes that you can uh, you can say use, but those are just templates. And then you have to look at the context in which you are applying those templates. And then from that point, decide what, 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 still, you have to decide what is better. It's not just, oh, this is the template and you have to follow this template 100%. I have used used Scrum in three different companies and all three of them, we have done it uh, slightly different each time because it it was adequate for the people that we had. And currently we are not really using Scrum. We are most of our work done using on the uh, on the team which uh, we are is Kanban because it was appropriate for the kind of people that we had on the on the team. Yeah, I've had that same scenario before where we were doing Scrum and actually found that a Kanban workflow was much better for us. So we switched to that and it's nice when you have that level of empowerment to be able to yeah. make those decisions. Um, as a team, as opposed to some higher being, you know, making decisions for you. <laughs> Doesn't it also co- uh, depend on uh, the the size of the company and the average seniority level? Then uh, th- there is there is a point that if you have a lot of, I, I think Scrum works very well when you have lots of people that do not have experience um, on on a young process processes. Because it gives them an easy way of thinking about quick releases and getting getting continuous delivery for the client and getting the project continuously moving on. And I think on that regard, things like uh, Scrum, which again, Scrum doesn't have the technical things, the technical aspect that are still needed for to do to do a job, but it gives them a easy framework to follow mm. uh, and I have found that the more experienced people get the easier, the easier it is to switch just to things like Kanban which is more free-flowing but to make it work it requires far more communication within the team being able to oh there is a problem let's gonna raise it right now don't, not, don't wait for the for, for one month or two months time or when there, or the rest is every two weeks uh, don't wait for that but that's when you start getting people that has experience doing the uh, doing agile, then you can move into different processes and start adapting that process. So you move from something that is scrum uh, scrum like to something that is more Kanban like. Yeah, I agree. I've seen that before. Where you know, if you have a very good idea of what the priorities are and you want to be able to react to new priorities, then Kanban can work quite well because the new thing comes in and then you reprioritize, you know, your backlog or whatever, uh, and then you, and then you work from there. Uh, yeah, I definitely found that to be really really useful actually. Mm-hmm. Just on the on the point on that as well, um, to do with retros. Yeah. So I found as well that the the more kind of experienced the team 
actually they might not necessarily need to do uh, retrospectives as, as, as frequently. They might become part of their, their workflow that almost but they actually will address it there and then. Uh, in my team we have just bought to move for retros from being uh, two weeks to once, once a month, but with the caveat that at any point on time, we, we can raise it. We can say, okay, let's gonna, let's gonna uh, uh, speak about we have been doing things wrong, things wrong or, or, or we have uh, or, or the, something in the process is not working or, or communication with, uh, with someone else is not working. Let's gonna talk about it right now. Let's just go for it. Let's gonna fix it. Fix it as quickly as possible. So, so yeah, yeah, it's, it, it is. Um, I got lost. <laughs> That's gonna happen often. <laughs> I get lost uh, easily. Okay, yeah, let's, uh, okay. Martin Fuller had uh, the talk. It was main three points that was giving. Uh, so the first one was about the, the this IAL industrial complex or or how how should it work in IAL for people. Uh, the second one was uh, um, he was talking about technical excellence, which we'll come back in in a second. But one of the things that he pointed was about uh, uh, software craftsmanship. He he sees. Uh, uh, the starting of the uh, software craftsmanship movement uh, as a trade thing, yeah. Which, uh, it, it, but but then he kind of. I think that the, from my point of view, uh, what I think about software craftsmanship is not what he thinks about, yes. and he seems he seemed to think that it was about developers uh, getting into their own bubble. Mm. Yeah, yeah, almost like isolating themselves from, he says how they isolate themselves away from the business, etc. And, you know, from my experience, that, that could be farther from the truth. Uh, that, that, that is my experience as well. I mean, I came, but by the time I, I came to Coderas, my way of thinking, I, uh, I knew about Agile. Uh, I learned of, of software craftsmanship because of Coderas. But by that time, my mentality was already aligned with uh, what uh, uh, both Agile and Software Craftsmanship uh, says. But it, it has never occurred to me that it's about believing, isolating myself from the, uh, from the business because without the business, there is no point on us doing what we do. So it is even far more than just uh, following a process which is what the industrial complex has become, it was oh, keep talking uh, to the business and do things, try to force things a bit more into getting that a proper flow from the developers to the uh, to the business stakeholders. Yeah, for, for me it's about taking the Agile manifesto and it, it's about enhancing it with, with technical excellence as well, because you know, not that the Agile Manifesto didn't uh, emphasize that, but I think the problem is that well, if we go back to the first point that Martin Pala made about the kind of the industrial complex around mm -hmm. Agile, it's about that some people take that and they forget about the fact that there is is it they, they, you need technical excellence, you need you need 
that for it to work. Otherwise, you're just following the process, and you you know you can have you can do all the ceremonies, but if you don't also apply the technical um, excellence as well to it, and it doesn't work so well. Which is one of the points that a lot of people have uh, talked against a Scrum, because a Scrum is a, is a very basic uh, process. Uh, a basic, it's a framework, very basic framework, very bare bones, and it doesn't talk at all about technical practices. And there is a book by Jeff Sutherland uh, doing the twice the work in half the time, I think it was called, uh, in which he, he talks about applying a scrum in, in when they were the, rebuilding his house. Mm-hmm. Okay? And doing a scrum at other kind of companies that are not software oriented. Because the, the, the whole idea is, yeah, uh, uh, probably most people know, it comes from, from Lean, from, from Toyota and the Toyota, uh, Toyota Way. And yet it is missing technical excellence and people are looking at that and don't realizing that you still need those techniques. And uh, one thing that was quite nice from XP is that XP has some of the elements that, are, that do appear as well in Scrum, but it gets all the, all the technical uh, 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 steps, actions that you have to take to actually create good software in there. Yeah, I think one of the problems is that companies adopt Agile, thinking that it's going to be a silver bullet and it's going to solve all of their issues. And then they, they, they're still looking at, well, well, how come we're still getting you know, a high defect rate? You know, how come uh, our software still is, is really quite poor? And it's because of the fact that they think that just by m- making their meetings stand-ups, etc., you know, and they, that now they have all these ceremonies, they think that it's going to make it's going to make a huge difference when actually it's the fact that it's it's the people on the team that make a difference it's how they do their work as well so what, what technical um kind of are they promoting technical excellence within their teams or not um you know and, and ultimately you know trying to deliver as much value as possible to the person who wants the software um i, I think that software craftsmanship i think that is at the very heart of software craftsmanship so for me i, I didn't necessarily agree with martin fowler when he said that it was a, it was basically a movement to move, isolate themselves away from everyone else. I thought it was quite the opposite, actually. I, I do expect that there, are, that there would be the, the same way that people that have think about Agile different than mm. what we think, there would be people that have seen sober craftsmanship, and there could be people that are thinking on those terms. But f- in general, of what I have seen, uh, what I have interacted with other people, uh, that is not the main idea of of software craftsmanship. It is not. It's just it is about yes, as you say, it's additions that to make it even better. Yeah. The the the, the whole idea of uh, of agile. Um, and I think that's. I want to talk quickly about that idea of technical excellence because there are two points over here that uh, we we t- uh, we always try to have this idea of uh, being having code that is easy to change and they can, you can change quickly and it's something so difficult to to show to other people 
That, that technical excellence idea is we, one thing that we have lacked uh, in general and our, our field and probably because it's difficult is that data that shows, yes, if you do these kind of things, these kind of techniques, it is going to work. Uh, I think at some point, uh, people were, ages ago, had some uh, uh, more general level uh, about uh, how to deal with uh, some companies and they have some, some data over there. But I don't remember ever seeing anything that is properly saying, okay, with doing this, um, uh, without doing this uh, technique, you have so much, uh, so many effects, and you go so quickly using these techniques, you have so many effects, and you go that quickly. I think as well, it's about like the, the maybe the, the practices as well. So, say if you want to do test driven development. If it's poorly implemented and the people that are doing it aren't doing it correctly, then actually that might slow them down. So it also depends on who's 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 in the software team as well, like what they're doing. Um, like there could be, I think Mike Fowler talks about how how many times you release a day, and he talks about how that if you're releasing multiple times a day, then you must you must kind of be you know low on the defect rate, etc. Um, but again, it depends on the team. Like you might have a team that maybe release multiple times a day. Maybe they do release uh, broken software. Um, so, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, which kind of goes back to what we said about uh, Agile and the fact that companies adopt Agile but instead of releasing rubbish you know once a year they might they might release it every day you know it really depends on, on, on who's developing the software and, and how well they've mastered their, their skills I guess hmm. uh, that's one of the things that okay so the, the time that I I was most successful using Scrum um, was the, the first time that we implemented it and the uh, first company that I did it uh, there was some kind of a bit of uh, uh, a bit of void at the top of the of the chain of command and my, I told my boss oh, I want to say to start using Scrum for, for this project can I do it? and he said yes thank you <laughs> <laughs> let's go with it and we not only were doing Scrum we started we started adding tests we changed the way that the, the deployment was being made. So the, the deployment used to take uh, uh, over two hours. You will have to set up our uh, client was, internal client was the factory. It used to take us two hours to make, it, uh, make a deployment. Two hours in which people could not work. We reduced it to just uh, yes, a restart of the application if there were no changes on the database, and if there was changes on the database, it, it would be like around 15 minutes, okay? And we could do first the database and then the and then the, the application, so they could just restart uh, afterwards. So we, we, we managed to reduce from two hours to not basically a restart, which it was closed application, open application, everything was working, but, we had a lot of tests. We had, we start adding tests. About what, everything that we were doing, we were adding tests. So not only we were able to deploy to do deployments far more quicker, is that they will not fail. And I have seen 
the difference when you are trying to sell what you are doing to, to people that do not understand that they are not part of their, the business side, they do not understand IT, they actually don't care, they just want a, a plan working. And then you say, uh, and then you start demonstrating that what you are doing is improving their life, and they start giving you uh, more, uh, more leeway to do things. And they will be, they will be far happy, happy. Oh yeah, you are gonna do, uh, you are telling us that you want to do this, you have given any reason, we believe in you, go ahead. And I think that the technical excellence in, at that point is when it shows. When you are demonstrating that what you do, you understand what you are doing and you are doing it well, business people are more happy to, to not get in your way. I think as well it's about you know some people like, like might might say they do TDD and wear it like it's a badge of, of of some kind and actually it's about you know how you how you execute it you know are you actually doing it you could be you could even be doing TDD to the letter but actually are you where are you getting your your like your test your test requirements from are you actually linking it to what the business wants you know because you can be writing some tests but actually they might not relate in any way to what the business wants um, and so it's I think that communication with the business is crucial in it. From my experience with software craftsmanship, that definitely promotes working with the business um, as a cohesive unit uh, to deliver um, high-quality software. That's, uh, I think that, that is a very good point uh, as well, and, and that's why we we both believe that uh, uh, what was incorrect about software craftsmanship. We still want to speak with the business. We still want to go to them and understand what they want to do. Uh, I, I think it's, it is important for software uh, as a software developer uh, and I mentioned it early on there is no point of, of on us doing anything without understanding what the client what the business wants to do because otherwise it's just well yeah I, I can be doing a hobby programming at home just for myself or one or two to try things uh, that's not what we are that's not our, not, not our work. It's, uh, I think someone mentioned it's, our work is actually not to, it's not to write code. It's to write solutions for the company. If it happens to be that that solution barely has any code, who cares? Mm. Doesn't, doesn't really matter. The, the point is fixing things for the company. I think as well, there's definitely a tendency to jump straight on the keyboard and you know, create some software. Um, I think as well, uh, sometimes in management, if the only metric they're looking at is speed, and if they have someone that hacks something together, you know, in two hours, that may not even deliver what they want, um, and that person might have difficulty changing. They might choose that over someone that actually creates a more robust solution that does do what the business wants and just focuses on the business and talks to the business as well what they want and what is the most important features. I think I completely agree. I think being a software developer, especially uh, you know today, it's much more important that you actually do talk to the business. It's no longer coding in your basement, you know, and then <laughs> sending, you know hit and push or whatever you know it's, it's 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 very different i think yes yes it is um what else we have oh uh, that one was that this last point uh, i think is it is it was important i don't remember seeing it specified like this before which is the idea of getting rid of organization around the projects and then you're going to about uh, around business capabilities 
um, there is some kind of parallelism with the way that we are talking now about you are not working in layers, you are working on vertical uh, slices of your application, so you deliver a whole feature. Yeah. Um, maybe there is, as I say, some parallelism around there. I've actually seen this before where uh, companies try and move away from projects to, to products and sometimes they can run into barriers with say like you know financial constraints in that you know how they want to organize they may want like a cross-functional team but maybe there's some organizational constraints in that they they kind of half go for a, a, a product kind of centric organization but then they still have like you know departments and that they don't necessarily they're not co-located they don't sit together and they work on something together you know so mm. it, it's one of those things where it's I think it's a good idea but it's it goes to the implementation if you don't forget the implementation right and you need all of the other stuff that we spoke about as well you need you know you need the technical excellence you need to be engaging with the right people um, I think one thing that I don't think he really touched on but was about getting the right people in the room together to, to solve a problem um, which I think is important I think a lot of management sometimes overlook that as well yeah, I mentioned earlier on the the Toyota way, and they and, and on the book the Toyota way, which they explain about how Toyota used to work uh, works rather, uh, and they talk about this this same idea is that there is a problem. They have a war room in which they put people from the different uh, uh, how's it called uh, from different parts of the company that are involved with. What's going on? They put them together, go and fix the stuff. That, that, that's it. Yeah, the, that idea cross-functionality uh, cross was already there in the, in the way that Toyota works. And it is it's fascinating because before, well, before no, after uh, we, we see that still happening, uh, there will be uh, companies in which the developers that have been developing the application are not in the meetings and you are trying to solve an issue why don't you talk with the expert in the matter the one that is working on the on what's going on you have a problem with the i don't know with, with the how do you sell well get someone that actually is doing the selling part to speak about it to to see to to tell you what what are the problems that they have uh, Kind of the, and it is a, a Tylerian view of you don't only get the people at the top talking about the issues, you actually don't see what is really happening. Yeah, I, I think it's probably, uh, I try not to make any puns, but I, I think it's probably because I think it's probably because rooted in a lot of these organizations is this intimate knowledge of object oriented software and they really like interfaces I think <laughs> I, I, I think they love the fact that you have an interface for speaking to this area of the business or this mm. team and actually uh, I think it's because they see it as a cost saving exercise that this person this one person can be the interface but actually I think it actually ends up being more expensive because you don't get to speak to the people you need to speak to you mm. kind of get it second or third hand there, there, is a, there is a point on not having too many uh communication channels. There is a point in there uh, in that having too many people that with whom you have to speak at some point it becomes a hindrance. But then it shouldn't be the case that you have to talk with 40 people. Yeah. It, sh it should be a case that you have it, uh, uh, the team that is doing the, 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 
the staff, six, ten at most, something like that. Uh, a couple of people from from this part of business, a couple of people from there. At most, maybe that even that is uh, a bit high, but maybe you can have a selection of them. But still, a bit of uh, definitely a bit of representation, and not just the the interface. The in uh, different meetings will need different people in there, and maybe I don't want to have the the whole team on every single meeting that we do with other parts of the business, but sometimes some of them, uh, some of the people will be on the, those meetings. Sometimes will be other. And if there there is not that many of them, then let's go with all of them. Yeah. I think, yeah, I definitely think, you know, I've seen it before where, you know, say like a tech lead or whatever will attend a, a meeting on behalf of the team. I think that's fine. I think it's more when there's like these multiple intermediate layers that you have to go through to, in order to speak to person X. And actually, why can't I just talk to person X directly and cut out you know, the middleman or whatever? That, he does uh, mention about this team of having six developers, four clients, yeah. <laughs> and they cannot, they, they cannot speak to each other. They actually prohibited from speaking to each other. And he says, what? What? Yeah. Why do you want to put anything in between over there? It's, it's such an easy um, communication pattern that it's just, I didn't speak with, it, with them. Most of the time, I, they're, they're, they have been working on companies in which the client is external, and sometimes it's difficult uh, to speak with them. But when the client has been internal, it's gonna go on to, to, to them. It's, I have. There was this. Uh, I mentioned before about this project that the, the one in which uh, Scrum was most successfully applied and, and whatnot. One of the things that we did is that because we were in one floor, the users were on the floor below. We, we never even used a phone. Is there is a problem? It's gonna walk down and talk with the person that is having the problem. Directly, let's go over there, let's go and see what, what, what's going on. It is not, it's not always possible, of course. But the, for, for us, that idea of going down, it, it, was, it was a massive difference, it was a massive difference for us. It was as well a massive difference for them because they could see you going there, talking with them, understanding what is the issue that they actually have and then they see the results of us speaking with them so next time that you come they will, they will be happy to to sit down with you or talk with you and show you the stuff because you they know they know that you are there to fix their uh, their issues i think it's interesting though how even a wall can be a dividing factor with people, you know, a, a barrier to communication. You know, they could just be around the corner, but it's amazing how many people won't just get up and go and speak to one another. They'll, they'll put a message on Slack yeah. or send an email or whatever. Uh, and, and that's nowhere near as effective as just going to speak to them face to face, you know. Um, first company I work here as a programmer, um, I used to have a, a small team as a satellite office was in the room for of us, the team, and I mean, he was, uh, I have all of them nearby, I, I can just kind of slap them, and <laughs> we used to, yes, we never spoke to each other, the most, well, we didn't speak, but most of the time we just send each other messages, 
Да, 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 мессенджер партнер. We'll send each other messages. We can just turn around uh, and talk. But that was fine because it was all the talk that went over there was not technical. It was just banter or uh, or talking about things that we have seen on TV or, or anything like that. When it came to the point of we have an issue, uh, I have a problem with some piece of code or not, turn around, speak with the person. Yeah, no, I think I think sometimes there's a place for, you know, you can send them a message. So say if I know that a pair are in the middle of a Pomodoro or something, mm. I might send them a message to say at the end of the Pomodoro, can we have a quick meeting about, you know, the design of this or whatever. You know, I think that's perfectly fine. I just think, it, yeah, when it's that kind of, when, when someone like Slack is a first class citizen of communication and you, you don't get up and talk to them, I think that's when it starts to be a problem. Yeah, it is. Well, I, I, I'm, you will not believe it, but I'm actually a side person. <laughs> um, uh, and because as well my native language is not English, one of the things that I dislike the most is actually talking through the phone. Yes. And mm. I, probably that has a tinted a bit my way of thinking, a way of the idea of going to speak with people. Because, okay, I speaking with people, uh, you are not uh, overly, uh, uh, how to call outward outwardly. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a bit, it's a bit of a core, but trying to speak with them through the phone is like, okay, no, no, I, I cannot do it. I cannot speak through the phone. It's just, I can understand it. So, the, probably that has, as I say, it has molded me in the way of just speaking direct to the people. I find it so, so much quicker to, to transmit ideas and so much easier to get sure that they understand your ideas talking with people through the phone or through Slack, it actually becomes too difficult to um, to make sure that the idea that you are trying to uh, to give then is being uh, how's it called uh, understood correctly. Yeah, they're so easy to be misinterpreted, you know, and, sure. and then they go off and they, they put a store in their backlog to do something and before you know it it's they're doing like, something completely different to what you asked or whatever. <laughs> That's absolutely true. <laughs> uh, we were talking earlier on about data. Um, he mentioned this book, Accelerate. I'm actually quite interested on, on it. I, um, I, I think I have it set up uh, on my watch list to see when it, when it comes out. Uh, because if he actually has data, that is something that is useful, really, really useful. Yeah, especially for when we spoke earlier about, you know, if you want to do a certain practice or whatever, you know, you actually have some data to back it up. Um, rather than, you know, trying to tell it to them, you know, based off of your experience, but then you might have the data to say, you know, this is what this is what happened. I mean, some people might have the data to say, an example of the, you know, the quicker deployments, that is a, you know, that's a form of data. But when it's mm. in black and white and you can point them to this book, it, it, I think it's really powerful um, to have that, have that, that backup. I'm excited for it too, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, the last point that, that I wanted to talk about was uh, one thing he said that it was about this tool summit that happened six months after the original uh, meeting that created the Agile Manifesto. And I, I thought that, that was uh, it was nice and was powerful as well. The, the idea that 
they none of them wanted to be a person with a special position or uh, or being the lead or anything like that is because it really didn't matter it's, it, it, it goes in, in fact a bit of ideal because it's not having a, a some kind of guru at, at the top that, that 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 gives you their view of of things it's, it actually stops you from moving forward the fact that they did not means that you have ways of improving you have ways of changing uh, things that which doesn't happen when you have a that person or those, or those collection of persons at the top of course there will be people that will go on the uh, ground with double quotes uh, direction like <laughs> um, that industrial complex but it gives you so much opportunity to actually investigate what, what you are doing adapt what you are doing and and evolve and, and evolve the, 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 the whole idea of uh, of Ayal rather than having the single way of of working on things I, I, yeah I think it's I think it was really powerful that they would say that they would effectively step away and kind of almost like give it to the community that formed around it in those six months since they had kind of proposed it I think that's I, I see that as a really powerful kind of message and often in the same way that um, sometimes you might do the similar thing with say software in the sense that maybe you do have to you know step away and go to someone else and, and, and trust that someone else can take it mm-hmm. and, and, and they will do right by you I think that's that's a powerful message to send um, and I think if they hadn't have done that it would have been an agile anti-pattern so <laughs> I, I, I think it's good that they did but yeah oops how was it? Um, okay, any other point that we want to talk about? I think so, yeah. I think that sums it up. Yep. Uh, I joined the last minute, so I was like in context. <laughs> but what I get from you guys is that, uh, yeah, well, the, the, you, you have a clear vote on like the self-organizing developer that uh, in our industry there's uh, probably not that much need for... for uh, extra middleman confusing the issue and you talked about the that software craftsmanship is often seen as like a it's, it's, it's a bit of a misunderstood bubble perhaps which is also like relate, related to the thing that that others look at agile techniques and take it as a silver bullet i think um, whereas uh, in our case um, it should be centered around the technical excellence what you talked earlier um, yeah and what was the last bit <laughs> <laughs> it was about the organization around projects that's how it started yeah yeah, and yeah we also talked about that that uh, I think like the, this this that in big corporations like almost that pe- people sometimes work against each other Right, and that that uh, the importance of uh, direct communication, right? Um, yeah, I, yeah. I also think that that uh, it, 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 people, some people like seem to be, grab the phone and and try uh, to 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 solve every problem with a phone call, whereas uh, like the, the the direct approach might be more advisable. Yeah, talk to your talk to your clients, to to your business partners. 
uh, work it out together. Uh, simple things like that. That's a good, very good summary. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so we are going to wrap it up for now. Uh, nearly 45 minutes, so yeah. that's good for a first uh, podcast. Let's see if uh, if people like it and I mean, if we are happy with it and want to do it again. So until next time. Until next time. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Bye bye.